Hi there. Welcome to Finding Space with Alex Tyson, the show that celebrates the everyday legends who put in the hard work to become who they want to be and live the life they want to live. For people who understand that when we practice compassion and find wisdom within ourselves, we find success and happiness. Join me in hearing amazing stories from everyday individuals who have found incredible personal and professional growth through varied and, at times, wild methods of self-improvement and self-responsibility. And through their unique perspectives and work, have gone on to better the lives of those around them. From nurturing health to growing your wealth or enjoying the present to crafting your future, no aspect of life is off topic. And hey guys, just a quick note that we recorded this podcast before we rebranded our company from iHealth Saunas to Found Space. So if you hear any references of iHealth Saunas, that's why. Today, I'm sweating it out with Peter Mayer. Peter is a Chinese medicine practitioner and acupuncturist, where he fuses acupuncture, Chinese medicine, and naturopathic ideas into his work, predominantly helping women with especially complex period-related issues, and in particular, endometriosis. In this podcast, we talk about the history of acupuncture and what acupuncture really is, the meridian system with which it is based, and how Peter is using modern technology to take acupuncture into a new age. We discuss women hormone imbalance, endometriosis, understanding the female cycle, and the cultural education needed in this area, and how us blokes can assist and better understand in our partner's cycles. This is a fast-paced podcast full of information and insight. Peter has true integrity in his field and work. And so I give you Peter Mayer. Peter, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It is an absolute treat to have you here, mate. Thank you for having me. It's it's exciting to do a podcast with you. Yeah. Um, Mate, you talk about acupuncture with people and they say, oh, yeah, that's not for me. Oh, I had that once and it was... It was painful and it wasn't comfortable and you did this thing and oftentimes they're talking about dry needling. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Get into, but what's actually going on in acupuncture and why is it that uh, actually doesn't typically hurt? Well, it actually shouldn't. And that's, um, I think that's a, a very big misconception. I think the, the first thing is the, I, the psychological conditioning that many of us re- have received from watching Hollywood movies. And uh, one of the first ones that, that pops up to, to my mind, depending on how old you are, is, um, uh, you know, the movie Nutty Professor. I think he's trying to lose weight. And, and so it's not just the pain factor that people have seen like Kung Fu movies, um, but also the fact that people believe that you're going to be surrounded by, by needles like a porcupine. So, you know, these things sort of tend to, um, you know, jog people's um, psychology into believing that it's painful. And so people will go into, um, you know, a therapist like myself, um, and have the expectation of, of pain. And, and with that comes, um, you know, an instant activation of the sympathetic nervous system. So they start guarding, their muscles become tighter, their skin becomes tighter. And that lends um, way to it being potentially a little bit more comfortable. But I think a really good practitioner will be able to explain things thoroughly to a client, be able to relax them. I think the surrounding, like you can see the painting in my background, like the soothing music, soothing um, sort of really nice smells like lavender, you know, I've got lime in my room, you know, different essential oils that help people relax, then allows them to relax in front of me. And it's, it's 90 to 95%, you know, um, you know, painless. If it is going to have some level of discomfort, not pain, um, I me personally, I'm always going to, um, you know, coach my clients into it. So um, you touch base before on dry needling, which we can talk more about later. But, um, you know, I do use dry needling from time to time. It is a form of acupuncture that we can get into later on. Um, but I will always give my clients a heads up. And if they're uncomfortable at any point in time, uh, we just don't do it. And that's the beauty of being an acupuncturist. When, you, when you're doing the dry needling, you, you tend to have a thicker gauge, for example. Um, it tends to go in there, tends to go deeper than traditional acupuncture, but not always. Um, and it tends to just be a little bit, you know, um, you're after a very strong uh, muscular nervous system stimulus. However, if the person is quite needle phobic, um, I'm going to coach them into it and say, hey, look, this is what I'm going to do. Um, if you're uncomfortable, then I've got the, the pleasure of having different needle gauges. And a lot of the time, um, people have had a really bad experience and they may have had a, a vaccination in their past or they passed out or, you know, a bad experience when they're in school and they've got that, that tetanus corked effect. People are going to remember that. And so I'm going to coach them into it. Um, and most of the time, I get them over the fear factor to the point that they can get, 
whatever needle or blood drawn in the future because of the experience I've had with someone like myself who coaches them into it. That was a long explanation, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's worth noting. I mean, you talk about gauges and uh, yeah, I just, oh, it just kind of makes me freak out a little bit because I was the same. I had, I had bad needle experiences, um, bad vaccination experiences when I was younger. And um, when I you know, was told about acupuncture and my partner was talking to me about it, I was like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not too sure about that. Um, but it is just a misconception. And as is often the case in health, uh, it's this cultural stuff that's affecting us and perhaps getting in the way of us actually experiencing the benefits of something like acupuncture. Oh, absolutely. But that's why I think if you go to a really good, um, you know, and again, I, I can't really say that this goes for every acupuncturist. For me, I've always followed the philosophy of treat others as you would want to be treated. Um, I have actually seen people where they, they're, they're, I guess you could say their bedside table manner um, wasn't up to scratch and um, it was a bit more dry needle style. It was more, you know, um, you know, strong in the stimulation and the level of discomfort um, where very little care was was taken. Um, and because of that experience myself, it transformed me as a practitioner and how I practice acupuncture specifically. So that's, that's why I have different gauges to make people as comfortable as possible because I just wouldn't want people to have the same experience and I want everyone walking out of my room feeling like they're either pain-free or floating on cloud nine. <laughs> Claire, that sounds good right about now. Hey, um, you touched on philosophy there. I'm, I'm curious to get into a bit more about that general philosophy, but also, I guess, the foundations of acupuncture and where it actually came from. I know there's a lot to do with uh, TCM, and um, I'm curious to explore a little bit more about, I guess, the history of acupuncture and how it's developed to the practice that you use today. It's evolved massively. So it's, it's depending on sort of um, who you sort of read and, and where we've sort of read it. And, you know, when I was in uni, you get, it's a minimum of 3,000 years old, 5,000 years old. And, and this is sort of, um, you know, what they've found as far as like writing or sort of, you know, the knowledge. Bit. But it's, I mean, it could have existed for a lot longer. Um, but just for, for dating sake, it's been, you know, between three to 5,000 years old. And it, and it started with sharpening of stones. Um, and, you know, there are different stories where people would go to, to war and they would acquire an injury um, and a spear would hit, you know, hit their leg in a, in a particular point and then it was noticed that something got better. I don't know how real these stories are of a spear hitting your leg and something. And that sort of gave rise to the idea of, um, you know, just observing these um, things happening as far as like a stimulation like the spear hitting the leg and then the shoulder getting better as an example. And over time... It was refined so that the Chinese then obviously started sharpening the stones and uh, from there then we had obviously the needles that sort of came in, um, you know, acupuncture in Chinese medicine isn't just the acupuncture, we're talking about like herbal medicine, um, we're also talking about, um, you know, cupping, so a lot of people um, have had, you know, experience cupping, so, you know, I know a lot of my clients have experienced cupping um, when they have, you know, a background where they're Egyptian or they're Greek, so that's a bit controversial because we don't actually know even though people say it's a Chinese medicine uh, modality, meaning that it's it's uh, um, it's uh, it's part of our skill set, you know, things like cupping um, have been used by other cultures, and so um, it's it's interesting to see how far it's sort of spread and and it's sort of its origins. But um, over time, um, what happened is that you, then you develop. What happened is that you went from the Chinese, then now you've got Korean style of um, acupuncture, you've got Japanese style of acupuncture, now you've got Vietnamese style of acupuncture. Um, and I guess for me, people and different cultures started studying the benefits of it. And I think they started applying differently um, and very much like I do today. Like I've learned so many different systems and I would, you know, associate, I would, the way I think it evolved my theory is anyway, is that people started applying it based on the food that they would see people consume. So, for example, the food that we consume in tropical weather uh, and the heat component of things is so different to the way you would treat and what you would see from an illness perspective um, in, say, like the colder European um, cultures. I think that, you know, the Vietnamese, the Japanese and the Korean um, styles were um, adapted based on the Chinese method, and then obviously adapted to the people. So the the culture, the food, the climate, um, and then we developed, and then all these different styles developed an evolution 
of, of acupuncture um, and even today. So a very particular style that I practice myself is something called electroacupuncture medicine. So 3,000 to 5,000 years ago, um, they didn't have electricity to manipulate in the manner that I do today. And so now we have these very advanced little electrical gadgets that I attach to a lot of my clients. Um, and I think it's a very important advancement in um, acupuncture, um, particularly in the field of sports medicine, chronic pain, um, things like migraine, because the addition of the electricity allows us to stimulate more of your body's um, natural chemicals, for example, like endorphins, serotonin, dopamine. Um, and it allows us to manipulate and modulate that, which I find very, very powerful, which is not to say that the traditional style of acupuncture is bad. I think we always have to pay homage and have respect for that. But I think when you find something, you've got to use the right tool for the right condition. Yeah. And I think that if we stubbornly stick to the one method and try it over and over and over I, in my career, um, which has been, you know, a little over eight years now, I found that the reason that I keep learning and the reason that I keep studying is that I've always found little pitfalls in all the different styles that I've learned. Um, you know, the one client that walks through your door and you think you've got this, you think that you've, you know, learned all the different systems and they don't get better. And for me, I'm the sort of person that loves to do my research. I love to learn. I love to reach out and ask people for help. And, and I'm quite um, honest with my clients in the sense that, you know, if that is the, the case, then I will actually tell my clients, hey, look, it's not going in accordance to what I expected, but um, what I want to do is reach out to a few mentors and people that might know a little bit more about this condition or have a particular style. And I'll either invest money, time, research and resources to make sure that person gets the results they deserve mm. or they get a referral. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful thing, especially in like in practitioner world to actually like that just shows commitment, right? It's really getting to the bottom of it and a true, a true purpose in wanting to help heal other individuals. I, I think again, it was born out of my experience. I think I saw too many, um, you know, a lot of the people, again, that I have been like mentored by, or a lot of people that I've seen in practice for, um, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, there are the ones that um, are incredible and they keep learning like myself. They, they know that there is no limitation to our learning capabilities. Um, and there are those that would develop what I would call like close to a, a protocol or a, a cookie cutter system where, um, they essentially use the same thing with everyone. And then if they get that person that walks through their door um, and it doesn't work, they're not really fussed if that person doesn't get better because they've got the next person waiting. To, and for me, I'm, I just, I don't like anyone falling through the cracks. It's a pet peeve of mine. So, <laughs> <laughs> No, I love that. It's a, it's a beautiful quality. Hey, you talked about... Uh you talked about using electricity and I'm really interested to talk more about that. However, before we do, um, when did the Meridian system start to be used? Because I'm guessing it wasn't 5,000 years ago. And how's that kind of developed? And, and tell me a little bit more about what the Meridian system is and how we can even perhaps use it in our day-to-day to kind of understand our body and our, our flow of energy a bit more. So the meridian system is um, is based on a theory that they are essentially the vessels by which our body transport uh, transports um, what the Chinese the traditional Chinese medicine practitioners or philosophies would call qi. Um, and so you know there are twelve main meridians. There are um, it gets a bit more complicated than that. And you're correct. I don't think that the meridians existed straight away. They were mapped out very slowly. Um, so we have like the stomach, the large intestine, the lung. Um, we've got so we've got the 12 that I, I sort of discussed and I, I guess where the average person could benefit is um you know I think that there's a sports medicine so it's a really there's a guy called Thomas Myers who, who ended up writing a book based on the meridian system so he's a I believe he's a physiotherapist or he's a um, exercise physiologist and what he did is he used the Chinese medicine um understanding of meridians and he started creating what are called um, fascial systems and so he then modernized it even more. And so there are a lot of people that think that it's over-Westernized. And what I mean by a lot of people is that very traditionalist acupuncturist. Um, but people like myself, I think that the more 
this sort of stuff, whether it, you know, go from the discussion of Meridian to fascial systems and fascial sling systems and how um, the body moves and understanding human movement. Um, so, for example, um, if we're talking about um, meridians and fascial systems, in today's society, um, most of us are so anteriorly dominant compared to our hunter and gatherer, where we were moving in different planes of movement. And I'm talking about moving side to side. I'm talking about moving forward. I'm talking about moving up and climbing. So we're using all we're using all these different systems and engaging all these different systems. But in today's society, we see a lot of lower back pain. We see a lot of jaw pain. We see a lot of neck pain. We're so anteriorly dominant, and we have a flat back. We have a flat bum. Yeah, we have um, constantly, you know, um, perceived, uh, you know, tight hamstrings because we have forgotten how to engage our glutes and uh, a large portion of our back muscles. And so I think when you look at the meridian systems and you look at um, what systems we're using overly in today's society, um, you can teach people about human movement. Um, you can teach people about um, acupressure points as well. So there are some really great acupressure points that, you know, we can teach people for sleep, digestive disorders, um, you know, headaches, pretty much most of the things that we can use acupuncture for, we can switch into um, acupressure points. Um, and the good thing is with Google is that you can Google most of these things and, and use the acupressure points. And um, unlike using needles, you're pretty much not really going to see any harm. It's either, it's either going to work or it's either not going to work for you. Um, but it's, a, it's, it's definitely evolved over time. Um, I personally don't i'm more of a i would i think i'm more of a what i would call a more of a modern acupuncturist so even though i understand and utilize the 12 meridians because i have to obviously it's part of my work uh, i'm not i wouldn't I, i'm so far from a traditionalist um compared to so some of the other practitioners uh, practitioners that that you would um uh you know talk to or have on this podcast Mm. Yeah, I love that. I mean, we're in 2021, right? So let's utilize the information, the technology that we have. Um, so acupressure points, do they all sit along the meridian system and are they the similar points that you're putting in the needles during your practice? Yeah, I think the bulk of the, I'd, I'd say most, if not all acupressure points that you would um, look at, because uh, an example would be, um, and I know doctors have actually taught this to some of my clients, which is actually quite incredible. So, for example, there's a, a point between the um, index and the thumb, um, and it's a point that's commonly used for headaches. So, again, if you were to Google this, um, you know, I've even seen um, like little YouTube clips where people put like pegs. Um, so, they're sitting at a computer, they get headaches, and what they do is, um, instead of using their thumbs, they use a peg that applies constant pressure. So, and I know a lot of kinesiologists um, these days tend to use a lot of traditional acupuncture points, but they apply acupressure and they tend to hold the points um, for anywhere from 10 minutes to half an hour to, to whatever else they're sort of taught. And so um, most of the time to elicit the effect um, that an individual wants to achieve results with acupressure points, it tends to be an actual, you know, a specific acupuncture point, which you do want to get its placement quite accurately. Um, the other reason behind why you want to get it accurately is that a lot of the times we use, um, you know, whether it be acupuncture points or whether it be acupressure um, points, is that, you know, three to 5,000 years ago when they were trying to figure out why, you know, this point treats headache as an example, they didn't really understand back then that, uh, you know, because they didn't have, uh, you know, MRIs, they didn't have CAT scans. And this is the, the massive benefit to being in the 21st century with this technology is we know that this particular point there that in traditional Chinese medicine um, is called large intestine four, it's called column four, um, as you know, it's, it's normal common name. Um, it's a common point for headache because it's on the large intestine channel. And the last large intestine channel, as an example, like you were asking about meridians, travels all the way to the front of the face. You know, this point here is said, uh, said to govern um, and be a major point for any facial condition. Yeah, so when you press that achy point between the thumb and the index finger, um, when you have a headache, particularly a frontal headache, um, it can help reduce or clear a headache. What it won't help with is a headache on the back of the head because we're talking about a different meridian system. 
and this is where you Google, where you Google stuff and acupressure points, and then you'll see, yeah, cool, use the point between the index of the thumb or, you know, large intestine four for headaches. And I guess that's where obviously, you know, when you see a professional like myself and someone says, hey, Peter, I've got a, a crazy migraine that's on the side of the head. From an acupuncture perspective, I would probably not use that point. There are better points to use to clear that. But for the sake of this conversation, if anyone ever has a frontal forehead sinus headache, the point between the index and the thumb, you look for the achiest point and you press on it until you feel that deep ache um, anywhere from 30, 30 seconds to a minute until you feel that dull ache start to disappear. And the other reason that it works is because every major acupuncture point and meridian has a major nerve supply. So with regards to the thumb and the index finger, underneath that area that I'm pressing is called the radial nerve. And the radial nerve has a specific connection to a spinal segment up in the neck. When you press or you stimulate strong enough, you release enough of your body's internal chemicals to help mediate and modulate pain. But you still need a practitioner to diagnose the difference between using the radial nerve versus the ulnar nerve as an example, or why I would use points on the leg so that we can have long lasting results. And I think that's the massive difference. You can have like a quick parlor trick of pressing that thumb index point, which will give you temporary relief or might reduce it by anywhere from 10 to 20% compared to seeing a practitioner that takes it to the next level. And we use acupuncture points. So you're gonna get a greater stimulation either with the needle so that means a greater reaction in the, the areas of the brain that need to be stimulated to be able to release more chemicals. Um, or you're going to get a better diagnosis, which means we're going to use different meridian systems on the body to have a longer lasting effect because we don't want your headaches getting back. You know, anyone who comes in with chronic headaches, we don't want you getting any more. It's not like you don't come to acupuncture to get temporary relief. You come to acupuncture to try and actually put whatever condition you have into a type of remission. I don't like to use the word cure because I cannot, um, once people step outside my door, unless I put like a dash cam on your head, there are so many ways in which people can undo that. And I tell that to my clients, you're only as good or as healthy as uh, you're willing to accept where you are in your current disease state and what work you're willing to put in to get yourself out of that disease state. If I could just take a snippet from this podcast and just post it, it would be that last sentence you said. <laughs> How badly do we want to change? How badly do we want to experience something other than the disease that we're currently experiencing? Um, because if it's not, it's not very bad, we're not going to make the change and we're going to be in the same position. <laughs> and even then, even, um, you know, sadly, there are people that have, you know, you would think that being in this excruciating pain, discomfort, the inability to conceive, which is painful from an emotional perspective, um, or having chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia. Um, the other component, which is the part that people don't understand about acupuncture, is you don't just come in for the acupuncture. You come in for the talk. You come in for what I call the truth bomb, yeah? If I see you and I see your intake form as an example, or we're having a conversation face-to-face, and your uh, intake form or your phone call with me says, I've seen a GP, I've seen a naturopath, I've seen a kinesiologist, I've seen everyone on the side, you are my last um, Hail Mary. It's an instant red flag for me. Because my next question is, why do you think it didn't work? Yeah. And if people start to use language that victimizes themselves, that's red flag number two. Yeah. And for me as a practitioner, it tells me, cool, how can I facilitate this journey? And I use that word facilitate because I will tell every single one of my clients, I'm not your guru, yeah? The moment that you get better or the moment that you have a perceived cure and people start, um, you know, saying, oh, my God, you're, you are the savior if I never met all this sort of language. You know, I'm very quick to change it on them and say, you, the reason you're better is because I gave you the tools, I gave you the diet, I gave you the herbs, and you took it. You went home and you applied it and you took accountability for where you were and where you wanted to go. Therefore, the reason you are supposedly cured is you because I never want to take the power away from everyone. I don't want them to rely on me like they would rely on a drug. I want them to be empowered 
I want them to feel better and know that if things go wrong again in the future, they were educated enough by someone like myself to say, hey, this is where I went wrong. This is the timeline. This is what I was taught. Let me backtrack so that I can move forward and get better again. Yeah. And you see less of me. You know, people will then see less of me or they'll come, you know, to get treatments where, um, you know, it just helps to have that chat. It helps to have the tune-up. It's very much like a car, you know, just because um, you know how a car works doesn't make you a mechanic. Yeah. So you've got to seek the appropriate professionals to keep you accountable, to keep you, uh, to keep teaching you new things. Um, and that's the sort of practitioner that I am. Do you know what I mean? I'm not a... Um, and that's, again, you know, a segue into the misconceptions of acupuncture. And that goes back to that Hollywood thing where people think, you come in, I had a headache, I've got a stomach ache, I, um, you know, you know if, uh, because I deal a lot with women's health as an example. And again, people, uh, women that I see predominantly, so the, the I'd say 90 to 95, I can actually count how many men I have in my books and it would be less than 10. And there's a lot of, I have quite a decent sort of client base and, you know, a lot of people come in with the misconceptions. They're like, all right, cool. So I'm just, I'm just going to get on the bed. You're going to pin me and I'll see you next week. Or, you know, or they're confused. They're like, oh, so how does this work? So do I, you know, they'll get the, the, you know, they'll get the pins as an example. And they're like, do I need to see you again? And we're talking about, you know, infertility or, or problems conceiving where, you know, you've got failed IVF, you've got, um, you know, just a complete cluelessness about their menstrual cycle, um, you know, a complete cluelessness about just, just general body awareness. And this is where I talk about the misconception where I'll tell people, hey, our first and, and follow-up consults, again, it's about me arming you with the tools. It's about from a, a female health perspective, you know, I'm going to launch straight away. You know, if you come in here for fertility, I'm going to tell you to tell me about your fertile mucus. Yeah. And as a male straight away, you know, females will be like, oh, this is a male. What the hell is he talking about? Um, you know, it, there's all these preconceptions that come in. Should I be seeing this guy? Does he even know what he's talking about? He doesn't have a vagina. So how the fuck is he going to know? And for me, that's why I, I start with those questions. And I've had clients giggle. You know, they'll be like, ha, 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 like it's taboo. And I said, that's actually part of the problem with society is these things should be discussed. It should be passed on from your mum. It should be discussed between you and your sister or between you and your friends. It's just like bowel motions and stomach motions. We suppress too much of this information until it gets too far. And so in my consults with women, you know, that's, and, and you'll see straight away, you know, these discussions with me and, and my female clients, you'll start to see, it's very hard for me to shut up because I'm like, tell me about your period pain. Tell me about your, your uh, you know, how often or how little you get um, a bleed. How long does that bleed last for? Um, you know, what is the quality of it in the sense of its color? Is it brown? Is it, is it clotted? Um, tell me about the lead up to your, um, your menstrual cycle because it tells me so much. Are you getting pimples? Are you getting loose stools just before your period? Are you constipated the whole way? Um, and all these questions, people's brains are like, wow, I didn't realize I was going to be asked this many questions. And, and this is way before we even get anywhere near the table and doing the needling because I want to find out every little thing about you so that I can do the best work that I do. And then we get, we do the needles as an example. And, you know, I let people rest. It's really important that people rest and get into that parasympathetic state because most of us come in in that fight and flight response. You know, we're coming from the back of the, yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, this, this concept of, you know, that essentially your brain is just constantly activated like a, a tiger is chasing you. Only we've become so numb to it. And so part of the acupuncture beyond all the different mechanisms is to relax you, just to give you me time. And then you get more education because, again, I want you to go home and I want you to action as much as possible. I want you to change your diet. I want you to reduce blue light emission. I want you to turn off your Wi-Fi before you go to bed because of the EMF exposure and the fact that it can inhibit melatonin, which is a very important sleep hormone and very important for fertility and egg quality, as an example. And instead of supplementing with it straight away, there are techniques that we can educate people on, like turning off your Wi-Fi that can enhance fertility because you get better sleep, you get deeper sleep, REM sleep, deep sleep, go through all the different sleep cycles. I'm going to get a better outcome. It's just, and that better outcome means a baby, you know what I mean? Or it means you're getting out of your digestive issue or if um, you're in a, a, a chronic pain sufferer like fibromyalgia, sleep is critical. I mean, fibromyalgia as an example tends to go have the, the symptom of insomnia that goes hand in hand with fibro. 
Uh, and so the acupuncture and all the different techniques that I teach people is critical because anything to do with chronic pain needs high quality deep sleep. And there is an actual mechanism behind that. When you don't sleep, you overactivate cells in your brain called your glial cells. Those glial cells become hyperactive and they hypersensitize you to the next day uh, regarding pain. Yeah, and, and that just keeps, that vicious cycle keeps going. So if I pin you, if you come in here with fibromyalgia or you come in here with some sort of chronic pain and I don't talk to you about your sleep, I just, just completely dismiss that. And I just put pins in you and you feel better temporarily. But you go home and you're on Netflix until 2 a.m. The outcome is probably going to be very poor. And even if it is good, it'll likely be symptomatic. And that's not me. Mm. Oh, so much good stuff there. Um, and I love what you ended on too. You know, if I talk about this with, with fasting, as you know, I'm a proponent of fasting. If we do a fast for however long, juice, water, whatever you want to do, if you do some period of fasting and you go through a period of cleansing and maybe you come out with your health at a, at a higher level in whichever area, uh, if you go back to doing the exact same things in your lifestyle of watching Netflix to 2 a.m., getting up and pumping yourself with caffeine at 6.30 in the morning, eat, eating food right away and just doing this same, same lifestyle, you're going to end up in the same spot. Right? You're going to end up with the same issues. Um, yeah, I'm very quick to, um, yeah, I'm very quick to, to, to have that frank discussion with my clients because at the end of the day, people um, still have to make that financial investment. And that's part of my questioning to them. I'm, you know, I'll tell them, let's get real. How much, how much, you know, how much do you want to get out of what you're about to invest? Do you, do you want to just have a, a one session sort of gloss over your health, um, which often doesn't work? Um, or do you want to have that real discussion as to what it takes to get out of there and to, to make the most out of you invest in anything you want, you want a return, your, you know, your ROI return on investment. Um, and it's really weird that, you know, like I said before, there are people that will invest money into um, health, but the victim mentality is stronger than their will to get better. And so they're just looking for something else to fail them so that they can tell everyone nothing's working when the truth is I am not working. And that's a very fucking hard thing to admit. Yeah. I, and I know this again from personal experience. And so when I tell these stories to my clients, um, you know, I'm telling them because of personal experience, like um, I had the, the worst, uh, worst and best experience of becoming a, a father four years ago. I've got two kids now and I burnt out. It was like, I burnt out really. I crashed and burnt because I didn't know you can read books, you know, to the, the cows come home, but you know, about kids, about the sleep deprivation. You can talk to other parents that give you sort of, um, you know, little tidbits. And, you know, the truth is I wasn't uh, applying most of the stuff that I was doing and I probably wasn't getting enough treatment, which is the other problem that I have with a lot of people that, um, you know, practice different health modalities is that they don't invest in themselves in the sense that, you know, I might be an acupuncturist, but I don't pay another acupuncturist to treat me. I think it's pretty hypocritical. You know, the people that go their careers without getting treatment. And for me, it's like, wait a minute, you're preaching about acupuncture, you're doing acupuncture day to day, but you don't even get it yourself. Like, and that's where I learned the hard way as well. So I was always getting it. I just wasn't getting it enough. And so when my son was burnt, uh, born, I burnt out like really badly. And I, I just was tired. My um, joints, you know, it, it felt like I had what I would think would be rheumatoid arthritis. I felt inflamed. I remember I would pick up my son who was only like, you know, as he grew heavier and he'd get to like eight kilos or something, which is relatively nothing. And I, my wife would carry him perfectly fine. And then I was just in agony. And she's like, you're a wuss. And I said, no, there's actually something wrong with me. Like the fact that my shoulder is burning, my elbows are burning, my wrists are burning, my recovery rate was like terrible. I'm like, cool. And I, you know, invested a lot of time and money in different individuals um, and learned a lot but was getting better slowly. And at the end of the day, I'm like, you're going to be the only reason that you get out is that you need to truly accept where you are and, and what you need to do and where you want to go. And it's actually fasting. That was one of the game changers for me. Like, so I, you know, I started researching a lot about fasting and giving a break to, and how to do it properly because a lot of people, 
there are different methods. I'm sure you're aware of this. Um, you know, people do like 48, you know, people want month long ones. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, so I, I researched like sort of different people um, and sort of, I started very slow um, and, you know, I think I did a 16 hour fast and then, you know, I had to push through a lot of the, you know, not having caffeine in the morning and, you know, pretty much having water um, and then breaking my fast appropriately. So I know a lot of people that do a, a fast, obviously, and then they eat whatever when they break their fast. Uh, it's whatever works for the end of the day, but that wasn't working for me. Um, and, you know, I lost weight, which was fantastic at that point in time. My joints stopped hurting. I became lighter. I became stronger. I became more clear in my mind. I became more focused. Um, and I was like, wow, the power of fasting. And then I actually got into infrared saunas and cold therapy, which you know, my other two favorites, you know what I mean? So um, for me, it's like fasting, it's the infrared saunas and, and sweating it out. We know that sweating is critical for, um, you know, getting rid of your heavy metals, which a lot of us have. You know, there's so many things that we just, there's a lot of stuff that we can avoid by changing over your household products, by changing your deodorants. Like, so think about aluminum as an example. And there's some things like environmental toxins, unless you go live in the bush, um, you're, going to be, you're going to be exposed to a certain degree of like car fumes, you know, there's, there's going to be a certain degree of environmental toxins and sweating it out is one of the best things that we can do. That's exercise or infrared saunas or whatever saunas. I prefer infrared saunas. Cold therapy. You know, I love teaching my clients about cold therapy. And again, this is where we go back to the misconceptions of acupuncture. And for me, acupuncture is the needles plus the education. So I always tell my clients about cold therapy. I'm like, you've got to toughen up. You know, you've got to, you've got to, get that stimulus, which is the cold in the morning. It's great from a motivational perspective to sort of try and, um, you know, ease your way or not easier, but just turn the, the knob and, and turn it on cold. And then breath work, you know, learning how to do breath work for that, that cold because it's, it's, it's the analogy of life. Something's going to hit you and you've got to learn how to breathe. And if people, when you tell people that, like, it, you know, you can, I mean, you can have, you can scream if you <laughs> really want to. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's the most important feature of doing the cold therapy is learning how to breathe through it because that's what you're going to use later on in the day or in the month or in the week. And the better you get at it, the more resilient you get. So, uh, as the Buddhists say, uh, breath is one of the few things we have throughout our entire life. <laughs> so let's work on, on keeping that through the tough times, through the cold times. Hey, you touched on uh, women's hormones. I want to go there for a moment. Um, what are the sort of challenges that you're seeing um, present to you in clinic? You work with a lot of a lot of women, fertility issues. What What are some of the common themes that are coming up at the moment? Oh, look, to be honest, um, I don't think there's enough education at a very early level. And when I have this discussion with many, if not all my clients about what did you learn um, before you met me, as in what did you learn in high school? What did you learn from your mother or your grandmother? And the only thing that was ever really taught was how not to get pregnant. <laughs> yeah. And it was pretty much use, use a condom or some form of barrier method or go on the pill. Yeah. And the problem with that is that that's pretty much, not only is that glossed over because there's sort of, so, you know, awkwardness to sex ed and 15 year olds and 16 year olds is that for me, I'm such a strong believer that there should be, um, you know, the average female gets sort of a period anywhere from the age 15, you know, 14, 15, sort of 16. I'm saying average. There are people that get it in primary school, unfortunately, and there are people that get it late. But there should be a dedicated class for menstrual health and body awareness. And that's a huge problem because, you know, when it comes to the fertility realm, there is an expectation that, um, you know, you ovulate it at day 14. Yeah, that's, and it's a myth. It's, well, it's not a myth, but it's just not, does not hold true for most females. So the amount of females that have then fallen pregnant with myself isn't through just the treatment per se. A lot of the times it actually just is education. I will get them to chart their menstrual cycles. I will get them to see, uh, you know, and that's a, another common misconception. A lot of females, whether you're trying to conceive or whether you're trying to use natural methods for contraception will count the first day of them not bleeding as day one, hmm. not knowing that it's the first day of your bleed, like proper bleed, that is day one. And then you count from there. 
And then to advance things further, I will often get females to do what's called a, a basal body temperature, which is just tracking um, their morning temperature. So first thing upon rising, they just use a thermometer and we use that. Okay, this is going to teach you a lot about your cycle. It's going to get you to just have just, just general awareness in the sense of how long is your period? Do you get um, spotting afterwards? So do you bleed for three days and then for some reason it just gets really spotting? It's not really bleeding properly. Does it do a stop start? Um, you know, how are you feeling in the first part of your menstrual cycle? So there are four phases of your menstrual cycle. You've got the follicular ovulatory luteal phase. And of course, the menstrual phase which is the bleeding phase. Many female don't, most, most females that I encounter, unless they've seen it through Instagram or something, don't even know that there are four phases. You know what I mean? Or let's, if we break it down into the follicular and luteal phase, two phases, they just see it as one big blob and blur. And it concerns me. You know what I mean? Because I have a daughter now and I want to make sure that as she grows up, she is body literate and that she's aware of all these different things. And that's what further, I knew that one day God would probably give me a girl because of what I do. I knew it was coming. And, and, and the other thing as well is that, you know, with women, it's like, what is acceptable pain as a society? And, and we can go back into history as to why this happened we know there is a deep sexism in the medical field with regards to males versus females do you know what I mean females are often not studied because uh them falling pregnant becomes a bother to studies yeah it's 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 it, it fudges their figures uh we know that women are more likely to have an adverse reaction to drugs yeah but these are things that just aren't discussed so there's a real sexism um, in the field of research and, and medicine uh, between females and males. And, and females are believed to, um, to have to suffer. There's this idea that comes from, you know, religion and Christianity and, and Catholicism where, you know, because of the whole Adam and Eve story, um, it is the burden of women to go through pain. Do you know what I mean? It's just something that's been, and, and that was again indoctrinated into us as it, it went on and it's sort of gone into different uh, fields. We think that, that, that women should suffer. And so when I see them in the clinic and we're talking about period pain as an example, the most common thing that I will hear is like, yeah, everyone gets period pain. I'm like, do they? Are you sure about that? And then where would you scale subjectively your pain? Yeah, are you are you a two are you a two naprogesic neurofen panadol sort of girl? Are you a ten naprogesic? Are you a hot water bottle? And that does the trick because that tells me as a practitioner what what we're looking at. Are we looking at um, you know a, a deeper condition like endometriosis? Are we looking at a cyst? Um, are we looking at just really bad period pain that's not related to endometriosis? Um, or are we looking at something else? Do you know what I mean? Do I need to send you off for further blood work and, you know, ultrasounds and, you know, a different, you know, do we get a GP on board to collaborate with me so that we can get you the best outcome? But it still is very scary that um, many women think that period pain is normal. That, um, you know, I've met so many different women where Western medicine can't figure out what's happening and this might be that a female is bleeding every two weeks, yeah? And when I look at them and they're like, look, I've had my scans, I've, you know, checked my iron levels, I've, you know, I don't have a fibroid, I don't, you know, I don't have um, a thyroid issue, blah, blah, blah. All right, cool. So let's just say, let's, because there's a difference between the medical range and then the functional medicine range, which I look at, but that's probably like a whole different podcast. And... Um, let's just say everything to check out for me. I'm like, cool. So tell me about your emotional state. Tell me about what's happening at home. Yeah. What is the ongoing pressure or stress that you have that is affecting your menstrual cycle? Yeah. And these are questions that generally aren't asked, you know, with a GP because a GP has like, you know, five minutes with you because they've already got the next person sort of waiting and yada, 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 which is a whole different, you know, sort of problem. Whereas with me, again, it's trying to get down to their root cause. You know, are you doing too much in life um, in general? Do you know what I mean? We're all in this rat race. We're all like, you know, the, the word, we're all hustling, trying to make a business and, and, and you know, do this, you know, uh, sell online products and whatever else, but it comes at a cost. Yeah, the amount of clients that I've, uh, I met and they, they still don't uh, realize that 
you know, working, getting up at 5 a.m. and going to sleep at 2 a.m. is going to have a drastic impact on your ability to conceive. Now, if you add you've been doing that for 20 years and you're now in your late 30s, then statistically, it is a lot harder for you to fall pregnant. And if somebody doesn't tell you the truth about your sleep patterns, there's not really much that we can do. Yeah, we need to look at your age. We need to look at what's called oxidative stress, which is the damage that's been done to the cells because of what you've been doing throughout your lifetime, the smoking, the drinking, the alcohol, the sleep, the stress, the micronutrient depletion, the overtraining, the undereating. There's so much that goes in to every woman that I see because I want every woman that I see to change their perspective on women's health, to understand that you don't have to go through pain, that you don't have to go through suffering, that you don't have to be infertile, that if you work hard enough with the right people, it's not always just me. There's often a solution. Bloody beautiful, man. I'd also add to that, I think education for us blokes as well is important. I would definitely lump, lump a lot of men in there um, because when I drag the husband or partner in with me, um, I try and make sure that they're not on their phone. Mm. I want them to partake in the journey that is fertility or pain. Um, again, with regards to, say, endometriosis, so I see a lot of endometriosis. And, you know, the main thing that females, or whether it be trying to conceive, but the main presentation is really debilitating pain. And the pain that can be experienced is like nothing I've ever, there's nothing that I can really compare because I've got females that have endometriosis and when their pain kicks in, they actually pass out. Their pain threshold goes so high, they pass out. They're found on their floor by a family member and their family member, um, you know, it, it's just become like this, like, all right, you know, poor Jenny is, you know, had a menstrual cycle. Yeah. Wow. Usual. I'm like, no, you shouldn't go through this. Obviously, that's why they're seeking professional help now because they're like, cool, they're petrified of their period or they've, again, they've sought the Western route where they use the pill, they use the marina, they use like a, um, a nasal spray. There's all these different methods. But a lot of women either don't want to take these drugs that have severe um, side effects or they have used them and they're not working anymore. But the reason I tell these stories is that uh, a lot of these people have partners, you know what I mean, like men uh, that don't understand it because we don't get periods, yeah? So it's very hard for us to empathize. And a lot of the times I've seen couples where I like to get the man in to understand that this pain, I will tell them, like, this pain is like someone putting, uh, it's like someone putting a toothpick in your pee hole and then just, <laughs> just moving it around. It's something that you need to understand. Yeah, so you say that to a guy and they're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that would be really really messed up. Now imagine that's still times a hundred. Now imagine that happening, you know, on a, like once a month at least, you know, and then there's ovulation pain and then there's pain outside of that. Um, and then you try and educate the man. Yeah. This, this female, this partner that you have right next to you needs your support physically, emotionally, bring that hot water bottle to her. Yeah. Um, nourish her. Maybe when she's got her period, maybe make a soup for her, create something for her, yeah? Because that emotional support lends to the healing component of that female. Because endometriosis isn't just about the physical pain, which is what Western medicine is trying to look at, the physical pain that's numb it. Um, let's look at the hormonal drivers like estrogen and the lack of progesterone. Let's look at things like potential. Sometimes they look at thyroid, um, you know, the... Um, there is a deep emotional component to it. You know, a lot of endometriosis sufferers, unfortunately, have a history of um, sexual abuse. Yeah, and they carry that with that with them. Yeah, and then there's a there's a point in time where there's a stressful event, and their endo pain starts to activate. It's it starts to become a real problem. Yeah, and it usually comes. You know, you can usually, or I can usually have a, a chat to a lot of females and say, hey, I don't want to get into the details, but did something happen to you? Do we need to get a uh, psychologist on board? Do we need to get someone else that can facilitate that? Um, because if that's what it takes to get you better, then that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I'm going to do my part, which is to look at your gut health, hormonal health, thyroid health, the health of the uterus, and, um, you know, mediate your pain and then help with herbal medicine, help with nutrition. But that psychological part, as much as we can take the edge off, my personal preference 
is to work with someone and say, hey, here's Jenny. Um, she sort of disclosed this to me and I really want Jenny to get better. And I've had a discussion to her partner. He's now aware that he has to cook for her when she's got a period. <laughs> um, so we're doing everything we can to introduce people um, to make that individual feel supported. And the role of the man is, is super important. And we need to take that back to high school. Absolutely. And it just makes for a better relationship. I'm not perfect, but when I started to understand Kristen's cycle more, uh, you even understand, you know, when sometimes perhaps they're being a bit irrational and it's like, oh, that's all right. They're at they're, they're, they're this phase. She's at this phase. I, I understand that now. It's okay. It's not even personal. <laughs> She's just in the big problems with everything phase. That's cool, you know. But then there's other times when it's different, you know. Like, wow, like um, they're really wanting to go out there and be in the world and be sexy and you can support that too, you know. And so I think, I think it's critical for, for the blokes in the partnership to understand that as well. Um, it, it allows them to be a better lover, a better partner and, and support their partner in a, in a better and on a deeper level than just like, oh, yeah, she's, she's on her rags. It's like, yeah. that's disgusting. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, the, well, uh, the other one is like you're PMSing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's, that's, that's the fastest way to get stabbed in your sleep. <laughs> um, it's not something that I, um, you know, and I'm very fortunate that I don't, you know, I fell into this, um, you know, this particular uh, branch of, um, you know, treatment style and, and people that I see, it was never my intent. It was essentially someone said that it couldn't be done. And then my brain was like, watch me do it. And as I was doing it, um, so that was the motivation. Somewhere along the line, it turned into my inspiration. And it's something that I wake up to. I literally read anywhere from half an hour to an hour something to do with women's health, you know, almost every day so that I can understand all the little nuances of how the, the you know, how, what you said before, how the, the hormones affect the brain, how the brain affects and the nervous system affects the reproductive system. And, you know, I think that there's so much to learn and I don't think it's ever going to be, you know, I, I, the research is continuing. Like endometriosis is an example, which is something that I, I look at all the time, or PCOS or thyroid infertility. It keeps evolving, so I keep reading and learning um, because it's it's a field that deserves so much attention because it's been neglected for so many years. Um, and wherever I can, I will teach males and be like, hey, don't use that terminology anymore. Yeah. Yes, um Hey, Peter, this has been uh, awesome. I appreciate you're on a, you're on a schedule. Uh, if people want to find out more about you or they want to work with you, um, how can they do that? They can um, hit up my website, so they can go to hmhb.com.au. Yep. Beautiful. And uh, if they're in the Gold Coast? Uh, so they can go to Holistic Minds, Holistic Bodies, Burley, and then it'll pop up. Um, or you can, it's a long Instagram tag. The easiest way to actually find me is through Instagram. So it's just holistic minds, holistic bodies, one word. Um, and you'll actually see a lot of women's health content, complex pain content, um, and a lot of like videos and hopefully, um, you know, what is it? More, more reels in the near future. You got to keep up with those Instagram algorithms. Yeah, man, it's constantly changing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on and, um, hopefully I'll, you'll be back on soon. I feel like we've got a lot more to unpack. Yeah, thank you. Just tell me when and we'll tee it up. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review and subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes.